Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Well, today we are doing another preparing for Sunday morning. And this is going to be in place of our Sunday morning Sunday school that we usually have, which is looking over the propers for the day. We are on the historic one-year lectionary here at Resurrection. Um, this uh, is turning out to be a very interesting thing that we're doing, and I'm hopefully you know, I'd like to do it for several years uh, just to see the benefits of it, the uh, catechetical benefit of it all. But this week, we are looking at the Sunday uh, known as Cantate. And cantate means uh, to sing in Latin. It comes from the introit, and, uh, which, which I'll read a little bit later. But uh, this is going to be a main theme throughout the, these readings, uh, that we should sing praise to God and for all the things that he has done for us, is doing for us, and will do for us. But before we get to that, let's uh, pray the collect for this week. O God, you make the minds of your faithful to be of one will. Grant that we may love what you have commanded and desire what you promise, that among the many changes of this world, our hearts may be fixed where true joys are found. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So let's take a look at the introit. We will come. We'll, we'll do that real quick. We'll see where we get this cantate understanding from, uh, and then we will move on straight to our gospel text. Because if you've been listening for the past so many weeks on these sort of uh, readings, these podcast episodes about the readings for the day, uh, for Sunday, we um, always center around the gospel text. But here, let's start with the introits. We see where this cantate, to sing, comes from. The introit is from Psalm 98 um, and various verses as the introits usually are. It goes, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. So you see here from Psalm 98, we get this understanding of singing to the Lord a new song. And if you were listening to the, to the collect, you kind of see this distillation of the theme for the day. This um, understanding of, you make the minds of your faithful be of one will, grant that we may love what you have commanded and desire what you promise, that among the many changes of this world, our hearts may be fixed where true joys are found. So our joy is found in Christ alone, right? We understand this from what we know uh, from the scriptures. All scripture points to Christ, even in the Old Testament. It was, it was foreshadowing, prophesying the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we give thanks to God for this. We sing to him a new song. Uh, We sing to the Lord a new song, for he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. That is, he has revealed his righteousness in Christ to all the world. And we're going to see that right now a little bit um, from our gospel text for this week, uh, which is John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. I'll read that for you here. Jesus said, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. So we see here from our gospel text that Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to the Father. Now, the nice thing about John, and I love the Gospel of John here, uh, there's so much ambiguity in John, uh, in St. John's Gospel, and how he writes these things, that this, if we know the structure of, of the Gospel of John, this is Jesus in the upper room, continuing to talk to his disciples. And we can also say that he's speaking to us as well, right? He's going to the Father. And... Um, He says, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart because they know what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to the Father. And the thing about the ambiguity of John, okay, the gospel of John has this ambiguity where it means all kinds of things in one saying. The the brilliant nature of this gospel is, is that, or one of the brilliant things about this gospel is that when Jesus is speaking about these things, he is speaking of more than just one instance, right? He's saying here, uh, I tell you the truth, that it is to your advantage I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And when you hear this, you think to yourself, oh, he's talking about the ascension. Because after the ascension, we have Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit comes. We see the tongues of fire. They're, they're speaking in tongues. And uh, we get this understanding of that is when the church starts because the Holy Spirit fills the uh, fills all of the apostles and they preach God's word. The Holy Spirit goes out and does the work of God, converting people's hearts to believe. And people are baptized and you know sealed in the Holy Spirit in the name of God, and it's just a wonderful thing. And so we think, oh, he's clearly talking about ascension, but. Remember that this is in the Gospel of John when Jesus is still in the upper room talking to his disciples before he's to be betrayed and going to the cross. 
So could he also be talking about him being betrayed and going to the cross? Yes. <laughs> this is another one of those things for Lutherans where we say, you know, it's not an either or, it's a both and. He's talking about both his crucifixion and his ascension, right? Those all those things are all going to the Father. That is what is that's what he's, he's ta- talking about, but if we take it within the context of this gospel, when Jesus Jesus is saying this, the primary um the primary um focus is on him going to the cross. So he's saying, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Um, Now, that's kind of a fun question to pose to a Bible study class, and I would love to do it to our our, our class, but we're not meeting this week um, still because of the pandemic. But I would usually say, can God give the Holy Spirit more than once? And that's kind of the fun thing about uh, being a Lutheran, because we can say, well, I mean, does Scripture say that he does? Well, then, yeah, he does. Yeah, he, he, the, Spirit, the Spirit comes not just—he's not hindered to just one time. He's, he comes all the time, right? Uh, wherever God's Word is breathed and wherever God's Word is present and preached in its purity and, and you know, the sacraments are given, the Holy Spirit is doing his work, right? We see that— um, even after Jesus dies, you can look at the Greek and it's kind of fun because you see the Greek and you see, um, you know, and he yielded up his spirit. But if you look at the Greek, the article uh, for spirit is actually just the. So you can actually translate it as he gave up the spirit, right? So he gave up the Holy Spirit in a sense. You can, you, you, that's an interpretation you can make there. And for sure, the Holy Spirit was among the disciples after Christ died on the cross. Um, Why else would they all be gathered in one place? Sure, they were sorrowful, but according to our understanding of what Scripture was saying, there's a lot of things that we could say that they were probably gathering for prayer. They were probably gathering and, you know, lamenting to God this painful loss of their Lord and Savior that they've, that they just witnessed, right? So the Holy Spirit is there, and He's and He's the Comforter. And we'll go through this a little bit, um, pretty quick here. That in the in the English Standard Version, we see in verse seven uh, that Jesus says, "It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you." Now, the ESV translators have translated Paraclete or Parakletos as uh, helper. And they put a capital H on there to show you that they're talking about the Holy Spirit. But when you look at a paraclete and what the actual definition of paraclete is, helper is, uh, you know, it's a little weak. <laughs> it's a, it's much better to translate this as um, advocate, as comforter. Um, I mean, helper is surely a definition. It is well well within the definition of the word parakletos. Um, in fact, I'm looking at my Greek right now, and um, the, yes, wait, where is that? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, so, is your advantage, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Um, oh my goodness. So anyways, 
we see here that um, <laughs> sorry, I was looking at Hebrews for some reason. I have my bookmark in there, but in the Gospel of John here, chapter 16, verse 7, yes, we do see um, parakletos. I wasn't seeing it in Hebrews, and that's understandable because I was in Hebrews chapter 6, and that doesn't make any sense. That's for our Bible study on a different time. But we see here that the ha parakletos, um, he will not, that this advocate. And that's understood also as like a legal advocate. That's kind of what it was used in the secular realm for uh, the Greek-speaking world, that this advocate will not come. Um, he says, but if I go, I will send him to you. And this is also where we get the uh, the understanding from the uh, filioque clause in the Nicene Creed, uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, that Jesus clearly says that the Spirit proceeds from, you know, he sends the Spirit, but he, but he makes it clear that all that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you, that the Father, and Jesus also says, I and the Father are one, that the Father's will is Jesus's will, they are one and the same, and in, in terms of their will, and that is to send the Holy Spirit, that includes that. So we see that uh, another in interesting thing here is that in verse 7, where Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, that word for tell is a uh, present indicative, which for you grammar people in Greek know that that means that's like an ongoing action, uh, meaning that I, I tell you the truth, and I continue to tell you the truth. That is how we are lumped in there as well. We can be understood to be the disciples of Christ as well, listening in on this um, conversation that Jesus is telling his disciples. But he says all these things about uh, that the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So we see here that it's kind of funny to name uh, the paraclete, the comforter, you know, the Holy Spirit, how is he going to comfort us when he's going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment? So we have to understand that in order to be comforted by God in the truest sense of the word, we must be convicted of our sin. We must be shown our unbelief, right? He says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. The root of sin is unbelief. It's idolatry. It's 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 focusing your faith onto something else for it to grab onto besides God. That's why the first commandment is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You know, you 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 shall have no other gods, as we understand it to be in the small catechism. That if you fear, love, and trust in God, if if you fear, love, and trust in something else other than God, then you are beginning your path on your manifest sin into breaking whatever other commandment you're on your way to break, whether that be you know, murdering someone either actually or in your mind um, with murderous thoughts, uh, committing adultery either actually, physically, manifestly, or in your mind, um, you know, these, all, all these things. So we have to understand that even we as Christians fall prey to unbelief from time to time, that um, we are enticed and we uh, fall 
in sin and we need the forgiveness of sins we have to be under we we have to understand that the holy spirit convicts us according to the law as well because the law is god's word right so he convicts the world concerning sin he um what is it uh, how does someone else say it he um reprove right so he reprove he rebukes right he convicts the world concerning sin righteousness and judgment um so we covered sin uh how the holy spirit convicts concerning sin he convicts concerning righteousness because jesus goes to the father and you will see me no longer so he is the one who by the word of god convicts us to the righteousness of God, the, the Christ's righteousness that he has won for us and grants to us through faith. That is also a gift of the Holy Spirit, right? That um, there's so much here to talk about, but that's that's the short and that's the long and short of it, that the Holy Spirit convicts the, will, uh, the wor- world concerning righteousness uh, to show that Jesus has done all these things by going to the Father in the cross, by doing the Father's will, by dying on the cross and and atoning for the sins of the world objectively, right? That there's objective justification in what what God has done through Christ in dying on the cross for the sins of the world. And then also the righteousness uh, that is one subjectively, that is that is given to us subjectively on an individual basis by the Holy Spirit in baptism, in hearing God's word, in being um, convicted of sin and believing in the, the risen Savior Christ, the crucified and risen Savior Christ for us. Um, all these things are lumped in together there. I'm going to move on here, though, because we have a lot to get through. Concerning judgment... The Holy Spirit convicts concerning judgment because, as Jesus says, the ruler of this world is judged. This is the eschatological um, promise here. Um, Eschatology is the study of the end times, that in the end, we know that the ruler of this world is judged. And the ruler of this world, as we know from Scripture, is Satan, that he has reign over this world, over temporal things, limitedly, right? We understand that limited. He he can only do so much. But he rages against the church. He rages against Christians, um, which is me being redundant. <laughs> but he rages against believers by threatening them with all manner of physical bodily harm, uh, whether that be through violence, deprivation, uh, starvation, or you know all these sorts of things that could harm us in our body. And the ruler, that's all he can do though. For those of us who are firmly in Christ, not by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, who has called us into the truth and sealed us in our baptism, with the water and the word, for us who are in this boat with Christ, we look at all the threats of Satan, which the ultimate threat is death, and we laugh because what Christ has done in dying for our sins on the cross, he has literally broken the teeth of death. Death can only kill our body, but it cannot kill our soul or our spirit. We will live forever with Christ, even when we die. 
right? So this is all concerning our, our spirit and our conscience, um, that in the end we have comfort, we are convicted by God's word, by the Holy Spirit, concerning the judgment of Satan and his demons and all those who ultimately will remain in their unbelief, which is very sad um, that the Holy Spirit will, he, he presents the faith to people in God's word, and yet God loves us enough to allow us to reject, right? That it wouldn't be a true gift unless we could actually reject it. He doesn't force himself upon us. Um, in fact, so we know that um, God doesn't force himself on us. He loves us. And in that love, he does allow us the freedom to resist him. That's what I'm getting at. Um, and that a gift may be refused. If it's a real gift, you don't have to accept it even as you don't have to earn it, right? Um, this is the thing about receiving a gift, especially the gift of faith and the gift of salvation um, that is given to us by God freely is that it is a free gift. And yet people focus, a lot of people, a lot of different Christians focus on the aspect of them saying, oh, but I received it so good, didn't I? That's that's the whole um, choosing to believe, right? It's like, I chose that gift really good, didn't I? I chose it really well. Well, yeah, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're focusing on your action as opposed to the fact that God alive, he, he, he quickened your heart to be able to actually receive this gift, right? Before that, you were just dead. You couldn't receive anything, but God has now made you alive to see this wonderful thing, and you receive this grace according to the pure gift of God. All right, so we see here also going on the rest of the gospel uh, from John 16, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, that's a Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth. And it's probably better translated, um, he will guide you by means of all the truth. And you can literally supplant uh, or, or you know, translate that to mean he will guide you by means of Christ, who is the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we see here that the Holy Spirit's job primarily is to point us to Christ. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. He points us to Christ the whole time. That's why we call him, uh, he's, he has the nickname of the shy person of the Trinity. He's, it's not about him. It's about Christ. That the Holy Spirit has not died for us. That's, that's why we say, you know, that, that in uh, the Athanasian Creed, I believe, you say like, you know, that God did not die for us. Uh, sorry, God the Father make that very clear. God the Father did not die for us. God the Holy Spirit did not die for us. God the Son did die for us, right? They all have their own place in the economy of the Trinity, that each one has their role to play, each one has their role to fulfill, and their role is of one will, though. Their will is the salvation of all the world, all mankind. 
So, um, there's more here. Uh, tune in for the for the sermon that I will preach because there's more there as well. Um, that the Holy Spirit, His work is tremendous. I do not say all these things about Him being the shy person of the Trinity to diminish His work because His work is essential. And we hear a lot about that these days, about what is essential and unessential work. But the Holy Spirit's work is essential. He is the one who delivers the faith to us by the Word of God. The power of the Holy Spirit is the power behind God's Word, Right? that is granted because of what Christ has done in dying for us and forgiving us of our sins. It's all connected. It's all interconnected. So I'll leave that there for John, for our gospel, but you'll see that this is a reason that we have cantate, that we sing, a, sing to the Lord a new song for all that he has done for us in sending Christ to die for us, in sending the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the advocate, the one who uh, comforts us in every trouble and every time of need. Um, according to God's will. And we see here in the Old Testament, Isaiah 12, we see a lot of singing. You know, I'll read a few portions here. It's Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. And there's very, there's, there's, there's a few more reinforcements of what it means, what, what it, what we are to do to sing God's praises. So we see, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Um, and we see, you know, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And we see this all fulfilled in Christ, right? And for those of us who will be gathering for Holy Communion, for um, Mass, as it's said in the Lutheran Confessions, I could probably get in trouble for that amongst some people, but don't misunderstand me. When I say Mass, I mean Mass in the truest sense of the world, that we eat and drink the body and blood of Christ. I'm not trying to be a, a Romanist or a Roman Catholic or um, anything like that. But we Lutherans, we retain the Mass, as it says in the Lutheran Confessions, in uh, the Augsburg Confession, that the Book of Concord clearly calls it Mass because that's the way that we Western Christians have referred to it for thousands of years. And the thing is, is that uh, it shouldn't just belong to the Roman Catholics, uh, that word at least, because we have mass in the truest sense of the form, in the truest sense of the word in the Lutheran Church. So don't get offended if I say mass when I mean communion. It's all synonymous. It means all the same thing for us because of what we mean when we say mass. All right. So, uh, but when I say that, Isaiah is saying, "Great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel," and that's why we should shout and sing for joy as inhabitants of Zion. That we receive the true body and blood of Christ in the Holy Supper, that in our midst is the Holy One of Israel when we are eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ, that he is in our midst forgiving our sins and strengthening us in our faith. It's a beautiful gift. The epistle lesson is from James chapter 1, which is kind of interesting. We don't get to see a lot of James, but it's very good. Um, we see, do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I'll just keep reading. It's pretty short. 
Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness, of the righteousness that God requires. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So we see here a lot of that continuation of what it means for the spirit of truth to work through the word of God, right? That uh, every good gift and every perfect gift is, is from above. This goes back to the issue of the Holy Spirit convicting concerning sin, that we are quickly deceived sometimes when we see that these gifts are, you know, we, okay, so we quickly become deceived when we take God's good gifts and we pervert them. Um, it's not a mistake. Our, our mistake of being deceived is not saying, you know, oh, look at this great gift of God. Is it good? Well, if we rightfully acknowledge that it is a gift of God, you know, and, and asking that, it's like, that doesn't, make a whole lot of sense. But if we say, listen, um, this thing that is love, how I understand love, it's good. And, uh, you know, I just happen to love somebody who's not my wife. And that's good too, because love is, love is great. Love, love, you, when you love, you can't go wrong. No, that's not true. That is a perversion of the good gift that God has given us. Um, so we are deceived when we, um, see my notes here. We, we are deceived when we think that what God has forbidden is good. So when we lust after someone else or something like that who's not our spouse, we think, oh, but this is love, right? So it's good. No, God has forbidden that clearly in the sixth commandment, right? You shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says, whoever, you know, whatever man looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery in his heart, even then, right? That we think to ourselves, is this love? You know, it's like that, it's like that meme of the, uh, the anime figure with like a, a, a butterfly. He says, is this love? And it's like, but it's just lustful, sinful lust of the heart. Um, anybody who doesn't get that, that's okay. It's kind of obscure. Um, anyway, so Here's the thing is that James is talking about that we should not be deceived because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights that Satan is always going to try and show us a false light. Uh, that's, I think Luther definitely said that the most convincing disguise that Satan has is when he disguises himself as an angel of light, right? That we should be wary of things that present themselves as good when we have this understanding, this pricking of our conscience, uh, possibly from the Holy Spirit, calling to mind God's word, saying, "This is fishy. Something's wrong," and we should just run away until we and and not engage in this thing until we can figure out whether this is truly from God. Um, so, those are the readings for this week. Cantate. Um, May 10th, 2020. Um, that's all for today. Uh, I pray that you would have a blessed Sunday. I know that it is Mother's Day, uh, so happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Um, although I would pray that, um, that many pastors would really emphasize uh, the aspect of Mother's Day in not only that you should, um, you should also remember those who cannot be mothers, that uh, this is 
that Mother's Day is a very painful time for them as well. Um, there have been several women that I know that I've that that are barren. You know, by the biblical understanding, they are barren. They cannot produce children, and yet when Mother's Day comes along, that pain becomes very real and very manifest for them. So pray for them. Uh, and pray for the women who would love to be mothers but are not married and are good are abiding to God's will to not have children out of wedlock um, but to wait for the one that God would have them if that is his will for them to receive a spouse a husband and that they may have the blessing of children pray for all those that um, suffer with that uh, terrible burden of not being able to have children um, of their own, and also pray for the mothers that do have children that their blessings would increase um, with with their children and that they would reach out to those who do not have children so that they could pray for them and comfort them as the church ought to be doing. Also, with it being Mother's Day, uh, I pray that you would see the church as your mother, that the church is where we are birthed into this faith in the waters of holy baptism, where we are sustained by the milk of God's word and by the body and blood of Christ in the Holy Supper, that the church is our true mother in the faith, that um, that is who uh, that is where the word of Christ is preached, that is where um, the sacraments are given for our benefit and we give thanks and praise to God, adding to the wonderful list of things for us to sing praises to God for. So I pray that you have a blessed Sunday, this cantate, May 10th, 2020, um, and blessings on your worship. Um, I pray that those who are in worshiping in person, you would give thanks to God if you have had some hiatus, some exile during this time that you would give thanks to God for this wonderful gift, that you would um, pray for those who are not able to gather, uh, and for all of those who are still in exile uh, from hearing God's word in person and receiving his sacrament on your lips, that you would um, continue to cry out to God, for he will sustain you, and sing praises to him, for he has done glorious things in delivering you through the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. God's peace, God's blessings, and we'll see you next week.